Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. This is so special that we get to do this. You know, it wasn't so long ago that we were locked up in our houses and, and wondering if we would ever get to do church again. Look around you just for a moment. Would you look around you just for one second? Look at these beautiful people sharing your faith with you. What God has been doing here is so incredible, and he's not just doing it at the river. He's doing it all over North America. He's doing it all over the world. Y'all, revival is brewing up. Come on, anybody believe that? It is. And in fact, I'm, to be honest, about the river, I'm starting to get a little bit worried because a really wise man, one of my mentors probably, I would call him, said this, that if the devil isn't attacking something, he stops doing it because it's not important enough for the devil to attack, then he's not going to do it. So I'm getting a little worried because things have been going pretty good here at the river lately. Um, so maybe I'll start a little division tonight. What do you think about that? Yeah, can we do that? You know I got jokes, right? Who's got an iPhone? Put your hand up right now. Interactive preaching. Come on, right up high if you're an iPhone owner. Look at you, beautiful, successful. Keep them up, keep them up. Smart, hardworking people. Y'all are my people. We send blue messages to each other. I love you. You're so smart. Okay, put them down. Then there's you other people. Why are you always so loud, you other people? You got those Google Pixel, Samsung, Huawei things. No, you know, I just, I have a message. It's not a word from the Lord, I'll tell you that. But I have a message for you tonight. You are so annoying. I just really mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm just pouring out my heart to you. See, if just one of y'all gets in my group message, every message turns green. Just one. It only takes one of you to mess it all up. Every picture I send, if there's just one of you in the group chat, it looks like a Nintendo 64 pixelated bitmap image. Is that still a file format? I don't know. Y'all, y'all are special, you Android people, and God still loves you. I just want you to know that. But no matter what you do or how much you would want... You can put as many labels on your Android and it will not be an iPhone, okay? It just won't. Stickers, cases to cover it up so people don't know that you're crazy. Um, it's not going to be an iPhone no matter how much you do, no matter how many labels you put on it. And that's what I want to preach about tonight, labels. Would you look to your neighbor and say labels? Come on, say it better. Preach it to them. Labels. We as humanity, we love labels. We love to assign labels. We love to assign labels to people, to experiences that we've had, to seasons of our life. We love to label, label, label. And actually, I think worst of all, which is what my message to you is about, is we love to label ourselves. 
We love to label ourselves. Look to your neighbor one more time, but this time, choose the one whom you love. Married people, be smart. Come on, you know my games. Choose them. Right now I'm watching the one whom you love. The one whom you love. You got them? If you're single, just be aggressive. Be bold right now, right? The one whom you love. And say this, proclaim this. You didn't make it. That was so bad. Come on, I want some preachers in the house. You didn't make it. Now look to your second choice. Second ain't bad, y'all. I mean, could have been fourth. Second's not bad. All right, and look at them. And, and because they didn't make it, say this, so you don't get to label it. Come on, preach this sermon tonight so you don't get to label it. You didn't make it, so you don't get to label it. That's the title of my sermon for you tonight. Don't label it. Don't label it. I want you to learn tonight what the Word of God says about this, and I want you to stop labeling things, because, y'all, what you're going to realize is that to label is to limit. To label is to limit. And guess what? Newsflash, some hard preaching for you. You are not the manufacturer of your life. So as many labels and stickers as you want to put on it, you can't get rid of what was etched in on the back of that iPhone or that Android. You are not the manufacturer of your life. In fact, you have no idea what the next page of your story holds. You don't know what's going to happen Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not even Sunday. You don't know what the next page of your story holds, but let me tell you something. You do know who the author of your story is. Anybody know who the author of their story is? It is so much better to know who the author of the book is than what the next page says. It is so much better, and you know who your author is, so you have faith and you have security that you can take to the bank because that author has good plans for you, plans of a hope and a future to prosper you and not to harm you. Amen? Amen. So you might not know the page, but you know the author. I want to tell you the story about a man from the Bible. I'm sure you've heard of him before. His name is Joseph. Um, not Mary and Joseph. This is, this is another Joseph. This is Old Testament Joseph. And Joseph did a terrible, terrible thing, right? See, what Joseph did is he had a dream, and Joseph shared his dream with people who were supposed to love him and support him and back him up and help him get to his dream, people called his brothers. He did another terrible thing. He accepted something called a coat of many colors from his father. You heard about that before, the coat of many colors. How many know that when you accept the blessings from your father, when God blesses you, you start to look a little different and you start to stand out a little bit and the world doesn't necessarily like that. And all of a sudden people might start treating you a little bit different when the father is showing some love and some blessing in your life. Well, that's exactly what happened to Joseph. And, and he did all of these terrible things sharing a dream with those who were supposed to love him and support him. And what happened? It caused him to be abused, to be thrown in a pit left to die. But, oh, we can't do that. That'll backfire on us. So let's sell him into slavery. Oh, slavery's not bad enough. Um, then he gets lied about, falsely accused and imprisoned. This is a lot for just sharing your dream and wearing a fancy coat. This is a lot that this man has to endure. And through every single one of those seasons, 
the pit season, the slave season, the prison season, I think you would agree with me that Joseph would have had to, he would have had a right to label those seasons as bad. There is nothing good about being a slave. There's nothing good about being imprisoned or being left in a pit or betrayed by those who are supposed to be your brothers. He would have had license to label it. He could have labeled how, what, what God thought about him. He could have labeled himself abandoned, forgotten. How about this? Forsaken? God, how could you let all this happen to me? What did I do to deserve this? He could have done all of that, but what I want you to recognize that nowhere in the Holy Scriptures is there a record of Joseph doing that. Nowhere does he label it. He didn't label it, and because he didn't label it, he didn't limit what it could become. Okay? He didn't limit what it could become, and what did it become, if you know the rest of his story? He became the second most powerful man in the entire world. He fed half the world in a season of famine. He even fed and kept alive his stinking brothers who threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery. Won't God do it? Come on, won't God do it? And I want you to know there was so much wisdom in him not labeling it. Imagine looking in on any scene in, G in, in Joseph's life, the scene in the pit the scene in the prison, where could you have ever thought that the pit and the prison would one day make him prince? Where would you ever think that that could happen? But he didn't label it, and he didn't limit it. My friends, do not judge people by the scene that they are in in their story. You have no idea what God is going to do through them or how he's going to use them. How about this? Do not judge your life by your current scene in your story. Because you do not know the end. You, the pit and the prison might be a setup for Prince. You don't know the next page, so don't limit it. Let's get in the Word of God. Genesis chapter 50 is going to come up on the screen. This is Joseph at the end of his life now. He's now seen the revelation of why he had to endure all those things. He's now been Prince. He's now fed people. He's now been Pharaoh's right hand, the most powerful man in the world at, this, at that time. And here in this verse... He's speaking to his brothers. Them is his brothers, and his brothers are trembling. His brothers are scared because what is the carnal, fleshly thing to do when people betray you and then you get in a position of power above them to seek revenge? So they're scared right now, but, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, my brothers, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Y'all, there is so much humility and so much wisdom in this one little statement that Joseph makes. I could preach three sermons to you about it. He, A, A, he's realizing that vengeance and revenge is not his responsibility, but that vengeance is of the, of the Lord. Some of y'all need to hear this tonight because some of you have been betrayed and you have been wronged, and, and, and that sucked, and that was so hard, but the thing that's really eating you up inside is that justice has not been served. They didn't pay the price for that terrible thing they did to you. It hasn't been made right yet. I want to set you free if that's you. It will be made right one day. Vengeance is of the Lord. He is a just God, and it is not your burden to carry. you got to release that tonight. Joseph had the power. He could have had them executed in a minute if he wanted to, but he realized vengeance is not his vengeance is of the Lord. What did he do instead? He fed them and kept them alive. How's that for love your enemy? 
That's verse 19. And also there, he, he, he's also realizing that he's not God, so he doesn't get to label it. God gets to label it. We'll talk about more of that, more of that in a minute. Verse 20. As for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me. Yeah, the pit and slavery, that's evil. You meant evil against me, but God. Can somebody shout, but God in here tonight? Come on, but God. You ever had a but God moment in your life? That's two small words, but when God intervenes, y'all, anything can happen. They meant evil for him, but God meant it for good to bring about not just good for Joseph, but that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He says, you intended that for harm, but my God who loves me turned it for good. That's what God will do in your life if you will remain faithful and you won't limit it and then walk away from him. Y'all catch this. The devil was already defeated. He has no power to stop the promises of God on your life. But if he can trick you into limiting, limiting where you are with a label before God has done his work in you, then he can stop you from realizing the promises that God has for you. But Joseph didn't fall into that trap, and I don't want you to fall into that trap. He didn't label it, and he was blessed. Here's my first point, note takers. If you're a note taker, write this down. Premature labels kill mature blessings. Premature labels kill mature blessings. What you talking about, pastor? How do I know if it's premature to label it? You just telling me I can never label it? No, after God has done good work, you should label it. You should label it with thanksgiving and praise and give the honor back up to where it's due. But how do you know if it's premature? It's premature to label it if it's not good yet. If it's not good yet, then God is not done yet. And you just got to hang in. You got to wait on the Lord because what they meant for evil, he will turn to good. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Does anyone in this room believe that tonight? Come on. You don't know what he'll do with it. You don't know how he's going to bless you in the end with it. The pit, how could the pit ever be a blessing? No pit, no prison, no prison, no prince. Joseph's story is remarkable. Here's the most amazing thing about God, and I've preached about this to you before. You and I, we know what we want. I am so good at knowing what I want. I got my Christmas list ready to go already, and it's, what is it? March. I know exactly the things that I want, but God knows something so much better than what you want. He knows what you need. And receiving what you need in this life is of infinite more worth than receiving what you want. Come on. Who are my parents? Interactive preaching. Come on, parents, put your hands up. I know we got a lot of young people. Look at those parents. Hey, I'm a parent now. Give them a round of applause, okay? It's hard work. It's not easy being a parent. So parents, I have a question for you. What is the easiest, most surefire way to spoil your child? To give them every single thing that they want. But what do you and I do? What, how do we treat God these days? We treat him like that genie in a bottle. We rub him three times. You know, we're good for three days. And then we don't get what we want when all the long he's just getting ready to give you what you need. The most surefire fire way to spoil your child is to give them everything they want. That's what lazy parents do. I want the crying to stop, so I'm going to give them the thing that might harm them. 
Your God loves you too much to do that. He's not a cheap, lazy father. He loves you too much to give you what you want. And newsflash, I don't know what I want. I'm like a three-year-old child compared to the knowledge of God. A three-year-old child wants to go play in traffic because it looks fun. But God isn't the lazy father that says, yeah, 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 sure. Let me sit here and drink a few more beers while you go do that. That's not how God is. God says, no, no, I love you. I'm not going to let you do that. And you know what? If you start to do that, I'm going to teach you a little lesson so you don't do it again. Because I want you to survive and I want you not just to survive, but I want you to thrive. That's the type of God you have and that's how much he loves you. But we have this tendency when we pray for what we want and we don't get what we want, what do we do? We then label what we get as bad or as that God didn't come through or as that God didn't show up. But what I'm trying to get to you tonight is to label it before it's done is to limit it. Premature labels kill mature blessings. Who in the room here is over 40 and bold enough to put your hand up? Come on, y'all ain't old. Don't believe that. I'm 33, I'm catching you, okay. That's, that's, that's a lot of people. You are not old, you are mature, okay? You are mature, as intellectuals say it. You are mature, you are a mature individual in your 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, 80s, anyone in their 80s? Yo, there was three grandmas in the front row worshiping last week. Y'all are not grandmas, clear, clearly, bro. But they were amazing. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just looked at you and said grandma, that was funny. It took time for y'all to become 40. It took a lot of pain. It took a lot of suffering. It took a lot of work for you to get to where you're at in life. You should be proud of it. Old is not a bad thing. Old is the goal. What is the alternative to old? Come on, old people, clap. I mean, mature people. Yeah. Look, the type of blessings that God has for you are not little trinkets like a new car. Or, or, you know, like, like a new iPad or a new MacBook. These are not the type of blessings God has for you. God has mature blessings for you. Mature blessings take time. Mature blessings take context. Mature blessings even take pain. Those are the type of blessings that God has for you. But if you label it too early, what you do is you limit yourself from realizing the coming revelation. Because your God is not just your creator. He is that, but he's also your revelator. That's a fancy word for meaning he will reveal to you things and reasons why he has done or allowed things to happen in your life. But if you will label it prematurely, you will rob yourself of the coming revelation. If you label it too early. If Joseph walked out on God while he was in the prison, he never would have been prince. And sometimes it takes a long time, y'all, but he works all things according to the will of his counsel. All things, not some, every single one of them. God is your creator, which means he is the alpha. Anyone here believe that God is the alpha? Yeah, you believe that? Put your hands up if you believe that. Good, I'm glad you put your hand up because that's a setup. If you believe that he's the alpha, then you must also believe what? That he is the omega, okay? If he started it, guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna finish it. That's right. What does the omega mean? The omega is the one that always gets the last word. Not sometimes. It is the end of the end. That is what the omega is. He always gets the last word. So guess what? It is over in your life when he says it's over. It's not over in your life when the doctor says it's over. It's not over in, the, in, in, your, in your relationship when your spouse says it's over. 
right? It's not over when the lawyer says it's over. There is only one person that gets to have the final say, and he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Alpha, and he is also the Omega. That's our second point tonight. It's over when he says it's over, not when you do, not when I do. We love to say when it's over. But look, there's a story in the Bible, another man that you may have heard of, where it wasn't over. His name was Lazarus. You ever heard of him? It sure seemed like it was over for Lazarus. See, what happens with Lazarus? He gets real sick. Not like the cold. He gets real sick. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, they send word out to Christ. And they say, Christ, the one whom you love. So Christ loved him, Lazarus, just like he loves you and he loves me. Christ, the one whom you love is sick. Come and heal him. We know you can do it. We've seen you do it. We've been your friends and doing ministry with you. Come, Lazarus, the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus hears of his condition, and you know what he does? Nothing. Absolutely nothing for two days. He says Lazarus won't die to his disciples, and then for two days does, does nothing. And then he lets two days pass and he finishes the other assignments that God the Father has for him. And he says, okay, disciples, you know what? Let's go. Let's go see Lazarus. And the disciples go, God, you're God in the flesh. Christ, Jesus, you're crazy. You can't go there. The Pharisees tried to stone you last time you went there. And he says, I don't care. I love Lazarus. I'm going. That's the type of love that he has for you. Even when it is to his detriment, he pursues you. It's a reckless kind of love. That's a whole other sermon. But he goes. And he goes, and in John chapter 11, he gets to the house of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, his sisters. And the scene is pretty incredible. Because you would think that the Son of God in the flesh, anywhere he would go, would be welcomed by trumpets and resounding hosannas and praise because he is the Son of God in the flesh. But instead, Mary, Mary doesn't even come out of the house to see him. Why does Mary not even come out? Because Lazarus is now dead. He didn't die like five minutes ago. John chapter 11 says, now the body stinks. He is absolutely dead. This isn't a CPR resuscitation situation. The body stinks. And Mary knows that Jesus is there, but she is so mad. Presumably, she is so mad that she doesn't even come out of the house to see him. But there's a sister who has just a little bit, not much more, but just a little bit more faith in her name is Martha. And I want to teach you about Martha tonight because if you will have the honest type of faith that Martha has, the breakthroughs that you can see in your life are unbelievable. Martha, she gets real honest with God. You know that you can get honest with God, right? Right? You know you can't hide your thoughts from God. So, so why do we think we got to hold things back in our prayers? He already knows what you're thinking and how you're feeling. So Martha gets real honest, John chapter 11, verse 21. And she says, Lord, if you had just been here, I called for you, God. I called for you, Jesus. You got my message. If you had just been here, Jesus, then my brother would not have died. Is there anyone vulnerable enough in this room to admit that there has been a time in your life where you, it has come down to the wire. I'm talking that 4 a.m. crying on the floor type of thing, where you have called out to God, and you have called and prayed, and then he just did not show up. Is there anyone vulnerable enough? I've been there before. Look, I hope you can get vulnerable in church. Church is a hospital. 
I know in 2023, we've made it a social club where we just come in with our best clothes and try to look like we got it all together. But church was meant to be a hospital. See, if you've ever been in that moment, like I have, not just once, multiple times in my life, you think pastors don't have doubt? That's crazy. You think pastors just live with 10,000% faith all the time? That's not true. I've been there before in my life. If you've ever been there, I want you to look very closely at what Martha did next. Very, very closely at verse 22, which is going to come up on the screen right now. Given the context that Lazarus is dead, and Lazarus is stinking at this point. He is, he is gone. He exists no more. Martha has the faith to come out of the house, to share her frustration with Jesus, but then to say this, but I know that even now, he's dead, y'all. This is big faith. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. That Martha faith is a big kind of faith when you're talking about a dead person. And how does Christ respond to this kind of faith? Christ says, hey, open up that tomb. Roll that over. Get rid of that stone. And he says, Lazarus, get up and come on out out of that grave. And what happens? The dead man rises and gets up out of that grave. Why, why, why? Because of Martha kind of faith. Even now when the situation seems completely dead and over, you don't get to decide when it's over. God gets to say when it's over. No matter how dead it looks, y'all, you serve the resurrected king. He defeated death, hell, and the grave through death. What makes you think he can't resurrect your marriage? Come on, what makes you think that he can't resurrect your relationships, your career, your ministry? If he defeated the grave and raised a dead man from the grave, that's light work for him. That's easy work for him. If he did it for Lazarus, why do you think that he can't do it for you now today? And you might go, well, I don't know, preacher. That's some real Pentecostal stuff, you know? Like, does he really raise dead people from the grave anymore? You know, I don't know. That's real Pentecostal stuff. Or you might, you might say something to, like this to me. You might say, pastor, that's cool. I like your preaching and all, but you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know my past. You don't know my history. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I have done. You don't know the things that have been done to me. And what I would say back to you is that you're right. I do not know. I do not know your past, but I absolutely know your future. And it is a mansion in glory. And I really hope that I meet you there one day. Stop living by the old labels that have been ripped off of you and cast as far as the east is from the west. Stop living by those old labels. See, when you think like that, let me tell you what that is. When you think like that, you're thinking the way the world thinks. The world operates on this premise called cancel culture. You ever heard of cancel culture? I'm not getting political, don't worry. You can put your hand up. Cancel culture, you ever heard of that? Yeah, see, the world operates on this premise that you did that, so now you are disqualified from doing this. Bright line down the middle. In short, you're canceled. That's the way that the world operates. But I want you to know tonight that we in Christendom, because of the cross and his mercy that you just sang about, we have an entirely different kind of cancel culture. Entirely. See, see, in our cancel culture, you are not canceled because of your past. Your past is canceled because of your Christ. Anybody thankful for that? 
I got a past that I'm real thankful is canceled by my Christ. But we love to live by old labels. We love to think that we're canceled and disqualified because of the things that we have done. Let me take you down a little trip down Bible history lane for a moment, if that's the way that you think. Anyone heard of Jacob? Put your hand up. Jacob was a liar. Jacob lied. Anyone heard of Moses? Moses was a murderer. Moses murdered someone. You might not even remember that because that's not the way the Bible paints a picture about him, but he did. He murdered someone. Noah got drunk. He's also your grandpa in one way or another, so don't say anything bad about him. He continued the human race, but he got drunk. Rahab, Rahab was a prostitute. We don't look too kindly on that profession. Are these perfect people? I mean, Joseph was abused. I just told you his story. He was really abused. He was, he was physically abused. He was sexually abused. Joseph was abused and hurt by other people. Peter, the one who is the rock that we are going to build the church upon, Christ says, denied Christ not just once, three times. Where are the perfect people at, pastor? Where are the perfect people in the Bible? Are you sensing a theme? Right? But the Bible doesn't define them by their own, by those labels. I tell you, Moses is a murderer. You probably got to think about that. Wait, did he really murder someone or is this guy preaching blasphemy? What, what is this? Because it's not, it's not how the Bible defines them. You know Noah for having audacious faith to build a, a, an ark when there's no such thing as rain. That's crazy to do. Continuing the human race. You know Moses, by ending 400 years of bondage and slavery for God's people, split in the rock, split in the sea, and, renting, and writing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Because that's how the Bible labels these people. Joseph, you don't think of him as a slave. You think of him as a prince. Let me ask you a question that is very important. God does not define you by your mistakes. Why do you? Why do you? Why do I? He didn't define them by their mistakes, but we walk around with so much shame that, that the mercy of the cross has washed that away, y'all. Those old labels are gone. All those people I just mentioned in the Bible, they were not canceled by those things. Their sins were canceled. In fact, some of those things qualified them for the call that God had on their life. Look at, I mean, look at David. <laughs> Y'all, David is the anointed one. He is the one after God's own heart. You know what David did? He murdered in the name of adultery. Anyone here ever done that? It's a rhetorical question. Don't put your hand up. Please don't. Yeah, creep out the person next to you. I know Oshawa is like right there, but <laughs> oh man, there goes half the audience of the river. I live there, y'all. I can say that kind of stuff. I'm on the border, okay? <laughs> but are you sensing a theme? Like they were not canceled, but they also were not perfect people. Where are the perfect people at? They did exist in the Bible. Wink, wink. The perfect people, they were the ones called the Pharisees. You ever heard of them? They were perfect. Beyond reproach, the Pharisees, they were the perfect ones. That, 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 see, the Pharisees, they knew the law. The Pharisees, they knew the word. They, in fact, knew it very, very well, but they also did things like this. Jesus, who do you think you are? You can't heal that person. It's the Sabbath. You can't, you can't show an ultimate act of love like healing someone. Don't you know the word? Don't you know the law? Jesus, who do you think you are? How dumb do the Pharisees look quoting the word to the word in the flesh? 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were done through Him. They're quoting the Word at the Word. How crazy is that? And it gets worse. It gets worse. Not only do they quote the Word at the Word, they kill the Word in the flesh, citing violations of the Word as the cause. You ever thought about that? They killed the Word by quoting the Word. That's unbelievable. That's crazy. See, the Pharisees had a problem. Let me tell it to you real quick. I only have one point left, and then we're going to get back to worship. We've got a lot of worship left. See, they did something that was a real problem. The Pharisees became what I call sword collectors. They weren't soldiers. They were sword collectors. What the heck are you talking about, Pastor? Let me explain. Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul. It's the chapter that talks about the full armor of God. He says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. You ever heard of that? The sword of the spirit. Why would he call the word a sword? Because a sword was meant to be used. A sword was meant to be applied. But see, the Pharisees, they, they were not using and applying the word. They were collecting the word. They knew the word, but what they were not was doers of the word. Today, I feel like there are a lot of us Christians who we love to collect the scriptures. We memorize the scriptures. But y'all, let me tell you, one scripture in the holy book applied in your life is worth a thousand memorized. Just one. It's about application. It's becoming doers of the word. See, when you apply it is when it works. Let me tell you what the Bible says about you and how the Bible labels you. The Bible says that you are chosen. The Bible says that you are forgiven. The Bible says that, Zeke said it earlier, that you are the head and not the tail. Come on, the Bible says that you are redeemed, that you are no longer a slave to sin. The Bible says that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. These are the labels that are in the word of God. And they're not cute little sayings meant to be collected. They are meant to be applied in your life. You gotta learn to walk in those labels. You're the head, you're not the tail. You're set apart from this world, you're not conformed to it. We gotta learn as Christians to be confident in what God calls us. Not prideful, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not through Ryan who strengthens me. I've tried that. It has not worked out very well. Y'all, confidence is not about how much you've got. You know how people say that? I wish I could get up on that stage like him. How much confidence must he have? I wish I could go interview for that job like her. How much confidence? It's not about how much you have. It's about where you get it from. Confidence is not about quantity. It's about quality. And if you find your confidence in the labels that God says about you, you can do all things through him. That's where you got to find it. This is my last point. This is my last point. The manufacturer does the labeling. The manufacturer does the labeling. Let me ask you a question before we wrap this up. What just, I want you really to think about this for a minute. What would happen if in the course of your everyday life, you spent just as much time accepting the things God says about you as you do arguing with him about the things that you can't do. What would happen in your life if you just spent that equal amount of time accepting what God says about you instead of arguing about you? See, if we would start looking at the manufacturer's labels, the ones that he has etched in on your life, as opposed to our own cheap little stickers that we put on it, the change that we could see would be incredible. 
And look, you're not the only one who does that. I'm not the only one who does that. We talked about this guy Moses a minute ago. Moses is the perfect example of this. Moses gets a call from God. He hears God. He, and God tells him, Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, peace out. That's not exactly it. That's the R.I.V. Ryan-inspired version. Slightly blasphemic, but you get the point, okay? You get the point. He says, Moses, you got to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and you got to tell him that all his slaves are now gone and you're leaving. That's a big thing to say. Let me tell you, let me show you what Moses says in response. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Moses says to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> you ever had God say something to you and you go, Excuse me, God, you know who you're talking to? Uh, me? You sure? Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Label, label, label. Label, label, label. And then, then my favorite, one of my favorite, if not my favorite verses in the whole Bible comes up next, verse 11. The Lord says to him, the Lord asks him a question before you read it. How many know when the Lord asks you a question, he's not looking for an answer? He's omniscient. He knows all things. When he asks a question, he's looking to tell you something, okay? And then he says this. He says, hey, Moses, who gave human beings their mouths? You know that thing you're telling me that you can't use? Who gave them their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? This is the response he gives to Moses when Moses says, I can't do. And then verse 12, so amazing. Next comes up. Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. There is someone in this room who needs to hear that tonight. Now go. You think you can't do it because of all the labels and limitations you and this world have put on you? Guess what? You're not the one doing it anyway. It's him. He can do it. He can do it. He'll speak for you. He'll teach you. But sometimes you got to go. God's reply, he says, who gave you that mouth? Who gave you that mouth? What he's saying is, Moses, don't you lecture me on the seed that I planted. You don't know what that seed's going to grow into. Only the planter knows what the seed will grow into. God has planted good seed in your life. Very, very good seed. He has good plans for you, and you don't know what it will grow into. Don't label it before it's had a chance to grow. The manufacturer does the labeling. What does Moses do? What does his seed grow into? You know the story I just told you. Leads them away from Pharaoh into freedom. Destroys Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. Incredible miracles. But I thought Moses was a murderer. He was. I thought Moses had a disability. He did. He was slow of speech. He stuttered. He couldn't talk. But he didn't live by those labels. He's, he lived by the labels of chosen, enabled, qualified, forgiven, all those things. Proverbs verse 16, 1, the very first verse you saw with the title of this sermon puts it this way so nicely. We humans make plans. Any planners in the room? Put your hand up. My wife's a planner right here. I'm not. That's why we work well together. We humans make plans, but the Lord has the final word. He always has the final word. Jonathan, can you play those keys? Play something holy, something very holy. If you can't do it, get Pastor AJ to do it. One of, one of you right there. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that it's not my plans that end up happening, 
but that the omega has the final word. I am so, so thankful that he has the final word. Because do you know what his final words were? Christ's final, final words were in the flesh. He said three words that changed it all. He said, it is, what is it? It is finished. Your old labels are finished. They have been ripped off of you. He paid too high of a price for you to still live in them. Stop living in those old labels. He died so that we could live and not just live, but live eternally and live a life here more abundant. He doesn't want you to live by your old labels. So wait, before we finish up, you might say to me, Pastor, you're a young preacher. You're just preaching another one of those grace messages. You know, all about grace. Don't worry about what you've done. It's all covered. Don't worry. You're just preaching another one of those grace messages. Yes, I absolutely am preaching another one of those grace messages to you. And then you might say to me, well, you'd be thinking, right, if you say this, you might say, well, pastor, if you only preach, if you just preach about grace, isn't that giving people a license to sin? Yeah, it's all covered. It's all covered, you know? Isn't that giving a license to sin? No. Let me tell you what grace is. The grace that was given to you and me on the cross is not a license to sin. That grace is a passport to obedience. It is the passport to obedience. You can have two very different type of parents. You can have a parent who is brutally strict on you, a parent who, ex who expects nothing but perfection from you and comes down on you hard, breathing down your neck every single time that you mess up. That's one. Or you can have another type of parent who loves you so stinking much and sacrifices for you daily and tells you every single day that you are unbelievably amazing, that you could do it, that, that tells you how much they love you time and time again. That second type of parent, you will do anything you can to not disappoint them because they love you. And the last thing you want to do is disappoint them. You can't help but adjust the course of the way you live your life. That first type of parent, that's called just the law, only the law. They tried that in the Old Testament. We know how it worked out. We live not just under the law, but we live under grace. The question, the last question, I've said that three times now. The last question I'm going to ask you is, will you accept that grace tonight? And you might say to me, well, that, that's easy. Yeah, sure. I'll accept that. Why, why would I not? That's great. Come on out, guys. Come on out. You might say, yeah, sure. I'll accept that. But hold on a second. You need to know what you're accepting. To accept that God, the creator of this universe, sacrificed his only son. Parents, put your hands up one more time. How much do y'all love your kids? How many of you, keep your hands up if this is you, would jump in front of a bus in a minute to save your kid? In a minute, you wouldn't even think twice about it. God the Father sacrificed his only son to die a brutal death of suffocation, asphyxiation, and humiliation on a cross called Calvary because you messed up and because I messed up. And because I still mess up. Do you know what it's like to accept that someone loves you that much that they would do that for you?
you can clap, that's good, but, but to accept that, when you do accept that, you have no choice but to reciprocate that kind of love. And that's why it's hard to accept it. Because then you've got to start living in it. And you need to start acknowledging that he is not just your savior, he is also your Lord. And start changing some things in your life. So when I ask you, will you accept it? Understand what you're accepting. It's not easy to accept that someone loves you that much. Would you stand to your feet? Because we're going to get ready to go back into a time of worship. Guys, please, please, please hear me. You don't get to label it. Premature labels kill mature blessings. If it's not good yet, then God's not done yet. Hang around for a little while. It'll make sense one day. He's your revelator. He'll show it to you. It'll make sense. It's not over when you say it's over. It's over when he says it's over. It's not over when the doctor says it's over. It's over when he says it's over. He is the alpha and he is the omega. And look, when he died on that cross, you got a new label. You were made something called a new creation. You got a new title that says one word, forgiven. And it's the most important title you could ever receive. You know why? Because good people don't get into heaven. Forgiven people get into heaven. Forgiven people get into heaven. That's the title that you have now on your life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are made a new creation. And their old past is gone. The new has come. Will you accept the new tonight? Will you accept that new label? Will you throw away the labels and limitations? I can't be a mom. It's too hard. This, these kids are so demanding. I can't do it. God gave you those kids. You absolutely can do it. He will stay with you every single step of the way. I don't know what your context or what your situation is, but you don't get to label it. Only the manufacturer gets to label it. It's over when he says it's over, not when you say it's over. Y'all, some of you, you've thought this word is for you tonight. And then some of you, you've thought, you just don't know, Pastor, how dark it is right now. The spot I'm in, how hard the circumstances and the situation is that, that, that you're in right now. And I don't know that's true. But, but please hear me with this, that it's always darkest before the dawn. There is a dawn coming. Sunday is coming. Though your weeping may endure for a little while, Joy is coming in the morning. Amen. Hang in there, y'all. Joy is coming in the morning. But you got to live in the identity of who he says you are. Not who you think you are or who anyone else in this life tells you are. You know who you are because you know whose you are. Okay? You know whose you are. And get this. You are not alone. You have a champion fighting for you who is undefeated 999,000 and oh. And there is no mountain that will not move when he says move. 